Welcome to Songs and Stories, the not-for-musicians-only music podcast. Hey there, welcome once again to Songs and Stories. I'm Michael Gaither, and this is Songs and Stories episode number 84, part two of my two-part chat with Bay Area producer, engineer, Cookie Marenko. And if you recall from our last episode, number 83, we talked with Cookie from her Belmont, California studio about some of her early work with digital technologies, including hard disk recording and being one of the early people to put songs up on the internet back in the dial-up days for download. Uh, these days she's working completely on two-inch analog tape. She talked about that and kind of some of the sounds she gets in her process of working. And uh, to recap some of the websites we talked about earlier, bluecoastrecords.com is where you can hear a lot of the artists she's produced. And there are also high-quality WAV files, not MP3, available for you know preview and download. You can also go to otrstudios.com. That's her recording uh, website front where if you're an artist or a musician and you'd like to record with Cookie, you can talk to her about that. Um, Also, otrstudios.com slash intern is her intern program. And the plain old cookiemarenko.com is her personal site with a blog and some recording-related links. So what you're going to hear in this website is, or this website, preoccupied. <laughs> what you can hear in this interview, this second episode of Songs and Stories, is an audio tour of Cookie's studio. What I've learned in doing these interviews over the past several years is as soon as I meet somebody, I, I have to turn the recorder around right away because if I don't, we'll start yakking about something and I'll miss something good. So when I went to Cookie's studio uh, a few weeks ago, She started off by giving me a tour, and I thought, you know, I'm not going to miss anything. I'm just going to start recording. So I did, and what happened is you'll hear a lot of talk about recording gear and how it ended up in her studio. At the same time, you're going to hear a lot of her philosophy about about recording and kind of how she ended up with a just pristine analog studio in Belmont, California. So let's get right to it. Here's Cookie Marenko with a personal audio tour of her home studio. So give us the tour. Okay. Well, let's start in here. This is um, this is the machine room, and this is the machine. It's a two-inch MTR90 uh, from Otari that I've had since the day I bought it. Mm-hmm. I think 1980. Two-inch analog tape. Two-inch analog tape. The next question is, you're still using it? Yes, mm-hmm, which, I am. This is one of the reasons I'm here to talk to you. So. <laughs> yeah, well, and then here's a Dolby SR, mm-hmm. which I started using in the mid-90s and eventually bought the system. Um, it allows us to use tape at 15 IPS, mm-hmm. and I'm relatively happy with the sound because I do so much work with jazz, mm-hmm. and uh, it's just completely prohibitive cost-wise to run on tape mm, you know they tend to run long because you'll, you'll only get 15 minutes uh, um, on a reel yeah okay if you're running 30 ips without dolby sr and what is ips Something... um inches per second okay so 
you know, with that 15 minutes and, you know, typically you get two eight-minute songs, you can only mm -hmm. put one on there and you've got seven minutes blank. Right. So for uh, uh, an acoustic singer-songwriter, it's not as bad. Mm -hmm. But anyway, we made the decision a long time ago and we stuck with it. And it works great. Um, we've since changed. We're not using SR the last few years on the half-inch master, which I still use. Mm -hmm. This is a half-inch Otari. Um, typically, we'll record now here without noise reduction, without mm -hmm. Dolby SR, and we run at 30 IPS, 30 inches per second. So we get 15 minutes here, but we already know what the length of the song is. Mm -hmm. We can better plan. And it's a little risky, even though a lot of uh, mastering labs are still using tape mm -hmm. to master. Um, SR and finding somebody, even in mastering, who knows how to adjust SR, it's too risky. So we just rather give them undecoded mm -hmm. tape. Yeah, and so now what's going on with the tape in order for us to use it is that um, <laughs> we reuse the tape. My philosophy is okay. They stopped manufacturing it twice. Two companies went out of business. Really? Yeah. The Quantigy, which bought out Ampex. Uh, the, the company they left us with was terrible. Uh -huh. um, there's a few people trying to start up new companies, but still you're talking $300 a reel. Wow. Yeah. So... We so can you, can you not get new tape, or is this really scarce? You can get new tape, mm -hmm. but... Some of the there's two brands out right now, and one of the brands um, is so bad it drove me to digital. Mm. And the other brand is iffy if you can get it. Mm -hmm. And depending where he is, I don't want to mention any names because right. I don't want to ruin <laughs> you know where I stand in the queue to get the right, right, <laughs> right. my tape. But uh, for the most part, we're just going back to tape that's within ten years old. Mm -hmm. Uh, we restore it with a baking process. We uh, record on it. We offer the tape free to anybody who comes in to record. Mm -hmm. um, typically four to six reels yeah. per session. And um, it's because it's faster. It sounds better. It's easier for us to work with. And then when we're done, we back it up to digital. Okay. So at the end of the process, we put everything on 44.1. Uh, 24 bit mm -hmm. and uh, and then we store it in our archives in case a client wants to come back sure and then once the records master we reuse the tape right you know heat it up again interesting yeah this is uh, you know, I don't have any money to fix the roof yeah buy <laughs> spent too much money on gear <laughs> but anyway that's a whole other don't story. we all anyway yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah so this is the machine um, and then we have tape library. There's some Houston Jones. I saw there. there's some Houston Jones. There's some Tony Furtado. Yeah. A few, few names I, re I recognize. Recognize Max Roach. Yeah. I like to leave that one up. That tape probably will never get reused. That that tape on uh, Max's birthday, we put the reel up and we mix it really? just for fun. Hmm. He was a great guy. Uh, yeah, so, you know, um, the Blue Coast material is upstairs. Nearly the whole top floor mm -hmm. is um, tape storage right now. Wow. It's a yeah. lot of tapes. It's a lot of tape. 
And I wish this recorder picked up the view because the view is just stunning. There's this 50 channel mixing board and a view of the hills from Belmont. Yeah. Very nice. Uh, it's fun in a thunderstorm, too. I'll bet. <laughs> Probably had a great view last Tuesday night. Oh, my. We could go Tuesday. <laughs> yeah, we were lucky nothing went out. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then all the speakers. I do a lot of work with um, manufacturers who give me speakers to beta test. Oh, very cool. Yeah, that makes them. sense. Yeah. So, you know, the Oritones I've had since day one, the Tannoys, the Little Reds, um, you know, since I started the studio. Mm -hmm. These are uh, monitors from NHT. Uh, this is their studio monitor that actually replaced my NS10s, which was kind of typical. There they are. Uh, it was the... It was a speaker everybody had in the studio for a mm -hmm. long time. And then a lot of folks switched over to Genelex. I've got my Genelex upstairs. Patrick's using him for his TV because mm -hmm. I'm just not a Genelex fan. <laughs> um, these you, are... You've uh, probably used everything at this point. Uh, you know, they keep giving me the stuff, so I use it. And yeah. then I have to decide which ones are really valuable. And this is sort of the system I use. Yeah. The Myers I've had for nearly 20 years... Um, you know, and I only occasionally turn them on. Mm -hmm. These are really nice. This is my audiophile system. Uh, it's built by uh, Jean-Marie Renault from France. Uh, they're, you know, high-end. And we run it through these, the Nelson Pass amps. Mm -hmm. um, they're, uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty remarkable. And because we cater now to people who love music and have mm -hmm. a passion for it right. and sound, we need to listen on the kind of system that they may listen to. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So it gives us a variety. You have a lot of listening options, which is good. Yeah. yeah. A lot of listening options. Uh, we've got a surround system of the JMRs. Mm -hmm. And I've got a lot of old vintage gear here also. Um, is it mostly in use, or does it depend on the need? Yeah, I think I turn everything on all the time. <laughs> uh, you know, I've got my system now, so this is still my favorite reverb, is the 224XL from Lexicon. That's been around for a while, looks like. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, if they came up with something better, I would use it, but haven't heard it yet. Yeah. And a lot of old le Lexicon gear from when I started. Honestly, when I, I walked into um, what was Sound Genesis mm -hmm. at the time, I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah, I had $20,000 in 1981, me mm -hmm. and my partner each put in 10 And said, okay. What can we get? Yeah. And they thought, oh, yeah. So they... Happened to sell us all great gear, yeah. which now is vintage and hasn't gone down in value. Right. Even the muse, even the the boom stands we bought work, and we're still using them. Yet they still work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was my idea. Yeah. Um, the Manly Vox Box is great. My Neebs, Millennia. Well, these millennias are incredible and millennia origins. I think what I'll do is write some of these down and link them in the podcast notes so people can kind of look yeah. up some of this stuff up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That'd be great. Links yeah. to 
to, to these guys. Cool. What else we have here? Oh, you know, something that isn't out right now, it's called the DSD. Um, we're analog-based, mm -hmm. but there are times when there, there must be like 20 laptops and computers going on in here. Mm -hmm. So we understand digital. We prefer to work on analog. Mm -hmm. um, the digital systems that we use are the Tascam uh, 2424, which is in there. Mm -hmm. It's an old unit, but it still sounds good. We master um, typically now mixing down to DSD. And DSD is a system that Sony came up with. Uh, it's called Direct Stream Digital. Mm -hmm. One bit recording. Really? <laughs> yeah, one bit recording, but 2.8 million parts per second. Okay. So if you compare that to 44.1, which is 44,000. Right, right. It's a big difference. It's a huge hmm. difference. Yeah. And so this one big bit essentially is sampling... The, a, a sound at 2.8 million parts per second it's as close to tape as I've heard still not quite tape but good enough for me to, to use so you can still tell the difference oh yeah yeah, yeah we've, we've done the comparisons we've compared so do you do you just cringe when you hear music on an iPod when you hear it just when they just compressed and compressed the, the, the crud out of it no I only cringe when somebody's done a bad job of compressing okay. and it's my something I know right right uh, in fact, I you know what's missing, or yeah. oh, it's it's hard. It's yeah. hard to even understand that it's something you did. Ah. First time I heard Tony Furtado on iTunes, mm -hmm. I couldn't believe that I mixed the record mm -hmm. because there were, you know, I have a lot of dynamic range. But what right. they do for iTunes and you know, in these um, batch processing to to make the uh, MP3s, is there? It's you know, there's no human beings attached, right. so they just throw it in, slam it overcompress it mm -hmm. and then what happens is you get this really overcompressed sound mm -hmm. and when it starts out with so much dynamics the way we have it just it's just not the way it because was because music starts out as analog with a lot of highs and lows and, yeah, yeah with a lot of dynamics yeah and all the frequency ranges get squished along with the you know the dynamics yeah. so anyway we use dsd and we don't have to compress and it, you know it's it doesn't have a lot of plugins because it can't. It's got, yeah. you know, it's just too, too big. Um, and let's see. We also use it for surround recording. So when we went to um, Grace Cathedral, I'm not going to take the two inch. So we took the DSD unit. Mm -hmm. um, I only have eight channels, but it's enough. You know, it's enough to do surround, mix down to surround, or mix down to two track. Mm -hmm. And then from there, we usually. Uh, we can well. We can master down to forty four one, or we take the tracks off and we go down to ninety six for our high resolution downloads. Mm -hmm. Let's see, and then I'll take you into some of these other rooms. Um, there's a lot of rooms. There's a lot of rooms. There's a drum kit. That's a brains drum kit. I heard a brain from um, um, the hair band. No, Guns N' Roses. Guns N' Roses. Yeah. yeah. He's the he's the drummer with Guns N' Roses, and um, he also played with Primus for a lot of years. Mm -hmm. Limbo Maniacs, Tom Waits. He's on Bone Machine and a lot of Tom's records. Oh wow! Uh, you know, was he a local guy? Yeah. Okay. He grew up in Cupertino, and I've known him since he was nineteen. We happened we 
did the first Limbo Maniacs demo, uh-huh. and you know, he and I have been friends ever since. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, now we're actually production partners, and we do a lot of things. Oh, great! Where, yeah, he um, uh, we did one project, thinking that he was gonna have to go on tour with Guns N' Roses. Uh-huh. Tour got canceled, but we ended up making a record together where. He came out and played the drums live to analog, uh-huh. and then we took his system where he's using Logic uh, and Pro Tools. Mm-hmm. We um, mixed it down into there, you know, with effects. He edited it into some loops and samples, and we made sort of an electronica record. Mm-hmm. Bring in Kai Eckhart, if you know Kai, or Jonathan Herrera, some great bass players, mm-hmm. and then we had some singers come in, Melissa Reese and Deborah Charles. Uh, let, you know, write vocals and cut some wow. vocal parts. Yeah. So that's a pretty exciting project. So it, it took analog, the best of analog, then digital. Oh, and then after we'd, you know, line up the, uh, or line up the songs in digital, we'd throw it back out on the analog and we'd record the vocals in the bass because mm-hmm. we get a better bass sound, better vocal sound. And, um, yeah. So anyway, he leaves his drums here. And, Very cool. <laughs> yeah. We're also working on his website. Uh, that's a whole other. Thing. And there's a whole upstairs over here. This was the original OTR. And OTR stands for. Oh, yeah, it's a secret. It's a secret. Okay. But oh, I'll tell you, it's out there recording. Okay. It, it's a. And it's OTRSound.com. If people can find this. OTR Studios. Studios. Dot com. We'll link that up. Too. Yeah. Great. So this is my piano. Um. It's an 1885 Steinway. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's got 85 keys. And um, people have come here from all over the world to record on it. Hmm. And um, I'm going to get comments. Why didn't you bring a camera? Well, I didn't think about it. <laughs> you can find pictures of this. Um, oh, actually, of the studio in different places. On your website, and I'll link it up. It'll make people go to your website. So. Okay, great. Yeah, well, they did a whole article on how to record the piano, and this was heavily featured. Oh, very neat. You know, because of the... It, 1885, this was the original... It's gorgeous. Uh, yeah, music stand and then the legs, and, you know, the whole thing. Ivory keys. Now, you play, don't you? Well, I used to play. Because, Chris, said you play the oboe and... What else? <laughs> well... Yeah, I play the piano. Mm-hmm. I played the piano since I was four, so I read music before I read words. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that till a few years ago, but mm-hmm. anyway. Um, uh, and then I started playing the oboe. Mm-hmm. You know, I played violin in there for about five years until I was 15. Uh, and then I started studying the sitar when I was in my 20s. Those are my main instruments. Mm-hmm. But really, piano, I started teaching piano at 14. Mm-hmm. Oboe, uh, just because that's, you know, I don't know why I like the oboe. Mm-hmm. I heard it one day and played it. But, and there's the sitar. And, well, that's a tambora. Oh, okay. This is um, this is the instrument that plays the drone. It's, it's not in tune, so I won't even pretend to play that. The sitar's underneath the house. I haven't played that in a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, you know, it gave me a whole understanding of other cultures that mm-hmm. they see music from a whole different viewpoint. And, um, uh, it gave me kind of a basis to talk 
to other musicians like Zakir Hussain or Krishna Bhatt, Shafi Hakim, who unfortunately recently passed away, um, understanding their music and that Western culture is so different mm-hmm. in the way we think about even teaching or passing on the music and the traditions. And I think it helps um, when you're recording any musician to understand the kind of the broad spectrum. Where they're coming from. and yeah. Music, yeah. yeah. That was smart. Yeah, well, yeah. I didn't aspire to be an engineer. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I, it was an accident. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I was an avant-garde performance artist. I studied classical music. I studied jazz with Art Landy, who's still a good friend. And, um, you know, and I was teaching, and I just, you know, one day said, I can't teach for at least one more time. Yeah. I'm done. And uh, a friend of mine, um, uh, Dino, who, he's another, you know, kind of established in the avant-garde scene. Mm-hmm. Anyway, he said, hey, this would be a great place for a studio. So we did a little research, quit the rock band we were playing in. <laughs> and, uh, you know, me and, and Robert Furpo threw down 20000 I just bought some gear. Just walked in. I got 20000 Would tell me what to do with it. You know, I did. So literally no knowledge of, of how to be an engineer. You just walked in and bought a bunch of gear and said, we're going to do this. Yeah. Threw yourself in. Yeah, you know, at the time, we were playing five nights a week in this room, mm-hmm. in a band, and, um, you know, performance art, doing occasional gigs with dance companies. Mm-hmm. Um, I was an electronic keyboard player. I studied acoustics just for the fun of it. Right. So I understood frequency response. I understood the physics of sound. I understood EQ. I understood what a musician wanted. I could speak music. So you hadn't planned to be an engineer, but you were kind of studying it anyway. You just didn't realize it. Well, honestly, I wish they would teach kids this in uh, when they're studying to be engineers, and they don't. Yeah. Because by the time they get to me, they're uh, you know I'm just the in, I'm the the program mm-hmm. that they have to take before they graduate. Oh. So I I actually find out that a lot of them don't know anything about the physics of sound. They don't know about reading music. So you still teach? Um, well, you know, in a way, I'm always teaching. Yeah. But uh, we have an intern program. Oh, okay. And um, it's pretty active. The intern program brings in kids from all over the United States and even the world. We've uh, had a lot of requests from Europe. And mm-hmm. recently, last um, fall, had a, a fellow here graduating. He was from Austria. Mm-hmm. During the summer, we had a girl from Japan, and we had another girl from China. And, um, you know, it's ex- it's exciting for me to teach and at this point pass on the knowledge because they're not really teaching what we've learned and discovered about right. acoustic music. So the other thing is I don't teach them about engineering. Mm-hmm. You know, when they come here, I tell them right off the bat, I'm going to teach you how to be an entrepreneur. <laughs> If you want a, a job, you want a career, you've got to learn how to do the whole thing. You've right. got to learn sales, marketing, how to talk to people. You have to understand pricing. You have to understand this stuff. It's not the fun stuff. It's not what they want to hear. They want to come and turn a bunch of knobs. Right. But turning the knobs, that's meaningless unless yeah. you can do all this other stuff. It's kind of analogous to people that want to be musicians or even singer-songwriters. It's like you've got your music piece, but that's that's a, that's a big piece of it. But also... 
marketing and presenting yourself and how to get out there and how to be just pushy enough and be visible but not be a pain in the butt about it. But that other piece of it, the business part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the next uh, horizon for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a certain point where I realized, you know, I've got all the gear, the understanding. I have no doubt in my mind at this point that I can produce somebody's best record. Mm-hmm. If there's the budget, I'll get it out of them. Yeah. I'll get the best performance. I'll get a performance, and I'm talking performance, mm-hmm. not necessarily sellability, but something they're going to be proud of, right. that they've executed. They're going to be performing at their best mm-hmm. and beyond. I know I can do that. The problem was I made so many of these great records that ended up, whether it went to Rounder or Wyndham Hill or Warner Brothers or it was the artist independent recording, just laid flat because they didn't know what to do with it. Right. So I don't remember what the year was, but when Tony and I, Tony Furtado and I started working together, Tony was my experiment in, okay, let's move this to the next level. Right. Tony was, you know, just green. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was just getting started. He had a couple of records with Rounder. He'd studied with Mike Marshall. But it took psychologically, um, you know, some time for him to adapt to going out and uh, wanting to take on a career for himself mm-hmm. as a solo artist, not just as a sideman. Um, so we worked together for a lot of years, and he's just a model student. You know, mm. a, a model artist, an independent artist. And, uh, you know, I loved the experience. And then from there, starting Blue Coast was another outgrowth of, okay, what is the problem? Mm-hmm. Why can't these artists sell their music? It's taken me maybe eight years to figure out why that I think it is. But, you know, uh, you're, you're absolutely right. Making the recording is the most fun part mm-hmm. and it's it's the glamorous part it's the part we all want to do well recording is the glamorous part and if you'd like to record with cookie again you can find her at otrstudios.com you know i'm sort of starting to mull over project number three my third cd and uh, i've got about three quarters of the songs together and kind of get my head around what I want to do with them. But after talking to Cookie, I think I know where I want to record when we're talking about doing that. So, some other links. Uh, again, otrstudios.com is her studio site. otrstudios.com slash intern is where you can find out about her student intern engineer program. She mentioned that here at the end of the tour interview. Uh, Blue Coast Records is where you can hear some of the work she's done with people like, as I mentioned earlier, and in in, also in the earlier podcast, Houston Jones, Keith Graninger, Dan Kai, uh, Jenna Mamina, and Matt Rawlings, who actually was playing piano on that Warren Zevon cover of Meet Near that Jenna Mamina was singing on in the earlier podcast. I forgot to mention Matt's name. And CookieMarenko.com is Cookie's personal website with a blog and some links and recording tips. Uh, I want to know, and as always, michaelgather.com, M-I-C-H-A-E-L-G-A-I-T-H-E-R.com is where you'll find links to all the stuff we talked about in this, or a lot of things we talked about in this interview, and um, as well as some links to previous podcasts. And speaking of other podcasts, coming up on the next couple of songs and stories, we'll be continuing this thread and talking with Dan Kai and Keith Greninger about their new album, Make It Rain, that was recorded at Cookie's studio in Belmont, California. So I hope you enjoyed this, this second sort of bonus part, this tour. Uh, 
you know, I think it comes across fairly well just walking around hearing people talk about their equipment or where we're at. But I thought she had so much wisdom to impart. I just wanted to put it out here anyway. I hope you got a lot out of it. And again, you can contact Cookie at CookieMarenko.com. And Cookie, if you're listening, thank you so much for all your time. I really appreciate it. It was a very inspiring afternoon. And for your listeners, to let you know that I, uh, after we stopped recording and ran out of room on my recorder, we I think we talked for another hour, hour and a half, just about music and marketing and recording and aesthetics and you know a lot of stuff to impart. And we'll probably do a follow-up interview with Cookie sometime later this year. So that's it for Songs and Stories number 84. Again, I'm Michael Gaither. If you have any comments about this podcast, you can always reach me at michael at michaelgaither.com or the website again is michaelgaither.com. Thanks again for your time. We'll talk to you next time with Keith Greninger and Dan Kai. Thanks a lot for your time. I really appreciate it.